Pastor Jim Welchel is a you know um, leader of CCF Manila, and is actually involved in many things. Uh, one of his passion is really missions, and he's in charge of international minis minis mission uh, in the Philippines. He's the director. He's here on a furlough playing golf. Okay. <laughs> No, it's my time to trash him, okay, actually. Okay. Uh, see, Thank you, Danny. We appreciate it. You know. <laughs> no, no, no. Without further ado, a brother, a supporter, a lover of all what CCF is doing here in the U.S. and everywhere in the world, Pastor Jim Welchel. So, yeah, okay. Uh, if you don't know how to speak Tagalog, uh, good morning. <laughs> um, it's really a privilege for me to be able to be back here. Uh, we are on, they call it for missionaries, furlough. Uh, that sounds like you are like sleeping, resting, golfing, all of that. Actually, not so much. Um, we have to actually raise support to be able to do what we do in the Philippines. So uh, I want to show you something, a little bit of what we do, just a very short video, uh, because many people don't realize all of the things that my wife and I are involved in. So I will just kind of click on this and hopefully everything is going to work. Ready to go? Walang sound. Let's try that one again. The gospel of Christ is spreading at an unprecedented rate around the world. Muslims are seeing visions of Christ. Churches are forming in formerly hostile places. More than 50% of Africa's population claims to follow Christ. Smartphones are everywhere, making the gospel accessible to half of the world's population anytime. We are living in exciting times. God has called Jim and Louis Welchel to equip and mobilize leaders to help fuel the expansion of his church as part of Campus Crusade for Christ. Three years ago, they developed a new training program for Campus Crusade called MC Squared, multiplying churches and communities training in Africa, the Middle East, Asia, Europe, Latin America, and even in the U.S., MC Squared is helping to start thousands of new churches. Campus Crusade's goal is to help see millions of new churches and communities of believers formed worldwide by the end of 2020. It is already beginning to happen. In Guatemala, they began training leaders about two years ago. They have already seen four generations of churches and fellowships, with over 500 new churches planted. Another movement broke out in the Blood Diamond area of Sierra Leone, with four generations and over 50 churches planted in six months using MC Squared. They hear similar reports in the midst of civil conflicts in Cameroon, among Muslim refugees in the Middle East, among radical Buddhists in Sri Lanka, and underground churches in North Vietnam. Last year, they began working full-time to develop a partnership between their Manila Church, Christ Commission Fellowship, and Campus Crusade to implement the training in parts of Asia where Campus Crusade is not presently active. One example is in North India. 
They are partnering to help develop two networks which together have already helped establish over 3,500 new churches. Last year alone, over 500 new churches were planted, and this year they are targeting 1,000 more. Almost all their leaders are first-generation Hindu background believers, many of whom have been rejected by their families and kicked out of their homes for choosing to follow Jesus. In China, they are training urban leaders to help develop reproducing small groups within their churches. The materialism and pace of life in urban China makes ministry challenging. One pastor said he had tried several times to begin discipleship groups through his church, but failed. But through MC Squared, they began 50 small groups in six months. They have a goal to form 120 groups by the end of the year. Through CCF and MC Squared, they are trusting God to build a network of churches to make disciples among urban professionals in China. Louis' focus is to develop leaders in another sector of society, education. Three years ago, she began the MA in Education program at International Graduate School of Leadership, Campus Crusade for Christ's Graduate School in Manila. Nearly 40 students are learning how to integrate biblical principles as excellent educators wherever God places them. Her students lead a preschool among Muslim kids, prepare for teaching high school in Vietnam, impact the development of Christian schools in Indonesia, began a school for special needs kids in Manila, direct a college for impoverished Filipino young people, and go as a missionary teacher to Cambodia. In their spare time, they also continue to minister to their disciples at Christ Commission Fellowship. They have more than 120 groups and over 800 people in their discipleship chain. Jim serves as an elder, part of the MANCOM, and missions director of the church. CCF continues to grow, with 37 churches in the Philippines, 10 outside of the Philippines, and over 45,000 regular attenders. As a family, God has blessed them with two kids, Michael and Sharon, who are both walking with God and active in ministry. Michael is a webpage designer with CCF's Internet Church, which connects people to Christ and involves them in online and face-to-face -face discipleship groups. He has also just started leading his own discipleship group at church and is in a growing relationship with Angel, a co-worker at CCF. After graduation, Sharon spent a year working with Campus Crusade for Christ's MK to MK ministry which helps missionary kids navigate the challenges of being third culture kids. Now, she is in her first year of a doctorate in physical therapy at USC. She continues to play soccer, helps support herself with her creativity and crafts, and is involved in a small group at Rock Harbor Church in Costa Mesa. Louie and Jim just reached a milestone. 30 years of married life. On March 10, they held a wonderful celebration with friends and family from the past to the present and began their adventure for the next 30 years. What is in the future? God has called Jim and Louie to continue developing leaders and building spiritual movements, and especially to invest in the lives of younger leaders. Lord willing, they will invest the rest of their lives in the next generation, so that the amazing movements that they have been blessed to participate in will continue to flourish and grow. This path of ministry would not be possible without you. For those who have journeyed with them for the past 30 years, thank you. And for those who would consider being a part of their ministry, either in prayer or financial partnership, you are welcome. God is at work. It is a privilege to be a part. May God continue to guide us all to impact our world for Him, so that together we will rejoice when every tongue, tribe, and nation will worship before His throne.
So that's a little bit about what we do and who we are, and uh, it's really a privilege for us. I'm still a staff member of Campus Crusade for Christ, but we are seconded or on loan to work with CCF full-time. So right now, I am full-time with CCF in developing these partnerships where we're doing church planning in China and India particularly, but also in other parts of Asia. So uh, pray for us because you know that uh, CCF has a big goal for what we're trusting God for. You know? uh, in the Philippines, we're trusting God for 20,000 discipleship groups by the end of 2020. Uh, sounds like a big goal, right? You think, Kainathin? Kainy God, okay. But do you realize that the missions goal, so that's our goal for missions, is 180,000 small groups and churches. Did you, did you hear that? I'm supposed to be in charge of that, okay? So pray that God would really raise up partnerships that we could see God at work. These are not necessarily CCF churches all over the world or CCFD groups but these are groups that we help to train people to begin doing. So we're not so concerned about whether it's you know, CCF or uh, it's in partnership with others, but we're trusting God to see at least 200,000 D groups total within CCF worldwide, so please pray for us. Now I have to say this, one of our favorite things to do is to mobilize people to pray for us. You know, We can't do what we're doing without your prayers. In the back, as you're going out, uh, we have some little things that uh, you can take just to know something about us. We also have a picture of our family and uh, it has a little magnet on the back. And if you understand missions, missionaries' goal in life is to have our picture on people's refrigerators, okay? <laughs> that is one of our goals in life. So if you grab one of the pictures, put it on the refrigerator, and every time you go and get a snack, uh, when you're hungry at midnight, you pray for us, okay? <laughs> so that's how we mobilize prayers every time you snack. Um, also, there is a place where you can sign up uh, if you want to put your name down and uh, email address, and we'll send prayer letters and stuff like that so that you know how to pray for us, and especially to pray for missions in CCF. So that's something that we'd really like to encourage you to do. Now this morning, I'm not here to talk about missions per se, but to encourage us uh, to be faithful to God for our entire lives. That's something that uh, as you get older, you realize that you see many people that you started with in the faith and somehow along the way, they get distracted or they end up going in wrong directions and end up not finishing well. Uh, do you know people like that? You know, maybe at some point, even in your own spiritual life, you have gone in a direction that you shouldn't go. Well, that's a common experience, but how can we make sure that we finish the, the road, the race that God has given to us in a really positive way? Um, one way to do that is to look at the examples of others, people that have finished well and see what is it that made it possible for them to finish well to the end. And one of my favorite characters in the Bible is probably not one of the most common characters. Uh, maybe you've never even heard a sermon or uh, preached a message about this guy, but the guy's name is Caleb. How many of you know who Caleb is? Okay, so some of you do. Well, I wanna share with you about Caleb because he was wholehearted in his walk with God to the very end of his life. 
In fact, I think this guy is a great example of somebody that never quit taking territory for the Lord. So before we start, why don't we pray together, ask God's blessing on this time. Father, we thank you so much for what you are doing around the world and the privilege that we have uh, to be a part of that plan. Lord, we thank you for saving us. But even more, we thank you that you give us the privilege of uh, partnering together with you in the things that you want to accomplish, not only here in Southern California, not only in the Philippines, but around the world. Lord, we also thank you for this man, Caleb, who you have given in your word as an example of someone who is wholehearted in serving you to the very end of his life. And Father, I pray that you would speak through me to encourage each of us to be the same kind of people. Lord, that we would be wholehearted, that we wouldn't turn to the right or to the left. Lord, that we would continue to focus on Jesus, that by the end of our lives, we would hear that, that wonderful message from you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. Lord, guide the words that I say. Empower me by the Spirit. And Father, help us to have ears to hear and obey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start by asking you a question, okay? What are your plans when you are 85 years old? Anybody here have you know, plans that when you get to be 85, this is what you are going to do? You know, it's kind of common these days to have a bucket list. How many of you have a bucket list? Do, do you know what I'm talking about? You watch the movie, no? I know you're Filipino. You watch every movie. I, that's just the way Filipinos are. Um, <coughs> a bucket list? Bucket, bucket list. No. Cornica? No? <laughs> a bucket list is something that you want to be able to accomplish before you die. It's like these things that you want to do. And there was this story, this movie, about this guy that knew that he was going to die and he had all of these things that he decided that he was going to do and he ended up doing them. Um, because, you know, what more can you do? You're, you know that you're going to die, you may as well do the things that you've always wanted to do. Well, for us as a bucket list, our greatest bucket list should be the things that God wants us to do before we die. So my question to us is, when you're 85, what do you want to be doing? What's your goal? What is it that you would like to do? Well, the reason that I ask this, and it's kind of interesting for me, is because I happen to, to come from a family where many of my relatives live a long time. Um, I have an aunt, uh, there were, she's already passed away, but she lived in Florida. And uh, when she was about 85 years old, just about the same time, she and her sister, her younger sister, who was 83, um, decided that they were going to drive from Florida out to California so that she could visit our family. Now you have to understand this was in the 60s and this was before all of the interstates were built and the roads weren't so good and cars weren't so good. And that is a 3,500 mile trip going from Florida to here. And they hopped in the car, they put all of their stuff in, they drove out, we took them to Disneyland, I still remember, and you know, toured them around Southern California. At 85 years old, I thought that was really cool. Then I had another aunt, so that aunt, those two aunts, were on my mother's side. 
Then on the other side of the family, I had another aunt. Uh, her name was Aunt Nina. And uh, Aunt Nina, when she was still about 92 or 93, she used to have a regular morning appointment with her next door neighbor. She lived in, in Oklahoma. And so every morning at about eight o'clock, she would walk next door to her, her neighbor's house and they would have coffee. Now that's, that's not really a big deal, except it was a one mile walk to go to the next door neighbor because they lived on farms out in Oklahoma. So here this 92 year old lady would walk for a mile, go to their, the neighbor, have the coffee and then walk back another mile. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to do that when you're 92 years old or something? Um, this coming June, the reason that I am here alone, my wife had to go back and uh, work with uh, IGSL. She had classes during the summer. <clears throat> so I'm here alone, but I felt like I needed to stay a little bit longer because my dad is gonna be celebrating his 90th birthday on June 1. So, you know, I look at these people and I think, wow, I hope that when I am 90, I'm still able to do many of those things. Well, the person that we want to look at today in scripture, when he was 85, he had some amazing ambition left. And I would like to take a look at him. This is the story of Caleb. And it is found in Joshua chapter 14. And uh, so if you have your Bible, you can look at it. Otherwise, we've got it here on the screen. Let me read this to you. It says, now the men of, of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. Now, just to give a little bit of background about this, this is now Caleb coming and talking to Joshua 45 years after he went as a spy to spy out the land. You remember that story? There were like 12 spies that went into the land. He was one of the spies. Now notice that he was a Kenizzite. Now what does that mean? Do you know what a Kenizzite is? It's not like a parasite or something like that. It's, it means that he was from another a group of people. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't an Israelite. He was actually from another country. Okay, And it also says something that we want to pick up on a number of times during the story. But he was a person of conviction. Okay, He was wholeheartedly committed to those things that he believed were true. And we will come back to that, to that in a minute. But let me just tell you a little bit more background about Caleb. So he was one of the spies. He was one of the 12 that were told, you are supposed to go to the land, check out the land, uh, see what it's like, and determine how we are going to conquer the land. Now, I want to point out something to you. How many spies were there? Do you remember? There were 12, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? How did you get to be a spy? Well, your family group would choose a person that they thought would be a good spy. So you had to have a pretty high esteem within the group because you know, you are one of, out of 100,000 people, you are the one that's supposed to go and represent the clan. But he wasn't an Israelite. That's amazing. 
Can you think of, of a situation where the Jews would choose a person that wasn't even a fellow Jew to represent them as a spy? You know, you have to have pretty good confidence in somebody to send them out as a spy because you want to make sure they're going to tell what the real situation is. But they chose a foreigner. Now, I know that you can relate to being a foreigner in a different country. Uh, I have been a foreigner in the Philippines for the last 35 years, uh, 34 years. Um, yeah, I lived in Manila since 1981. So after 34 years, I would hope that I had a good enough reputation that people would trust me in that place. Well, that is exactly the situation for Caleb. They knew the kind of character that he had, otherwise they wouldn't have chosen him. So it was a pretty big honor to be able to be cho chosen as a foreigner to represent this clan. So he was very highly esteemed, he had a good reputation. And he was one of the two spies that gave a good report. Remember, all of the others, they said, what's the problem in the, the land? There's giants. We can't conquer them because they're too big for us. That was their mindset. That was their attitude. But Caleb and Joshua were the two minority report. I'll keep using movies because I know you can relate to movies. So they were the minority report. The two of them said, no, we should go. Now, it's really interesting. I won't go into the whole story here, but were they ever asked to decide whether they should go and conquer the land? Was that their job as spies? Who makes that decision? How many of you have been in the military? If you've been in the military, who makes the decision whether to go or not go? The commanding officer, right? Yeah, the commandant. Okay, the spies give information, but the decision is made by the commanding officer. Who should really be in charge of this decision? It's God's decision. It's not their decision. They are simply supposed to give the information for the army how they are going to conquer, not whether they should go in. Now, by the way, I love democracy, but democracy is not very Christian. You know, there's only one time in the Bible that there is an election or a votation where you actually vote on something. This was the time where they voted on whether they should go or not go. Uh, didn't turn out so well. So don't think just because there is a vote, it's going to get the right decision. It actually turned out that 10 of them got it wrong. And because of that, all of them died in the wilderness except for two. Okay, so you look at this situation, this guy stood up for his convictions. Now let me just read uh, the rest of the story back in, uh, in Joshua. It says, but my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on the day that Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked uh, will be your inheritance <clears throat> and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now, as he is recounting back this story, he remembers that when he went and gave the good report, 
there was actually a blessing that came from that, that actually God, through Moses, promised him, okay, when we go into that land, I am going to give you that land that you spied out. Now, that's kind of a mixed blessing because remember, who were the people in the land that they spied out? Okay, these were giants. These were the, actually the uh, ancestors of Goliath. You know, how big is Goliath? Like nine footer. You know, do you want to go fighting with Goliath? This isn't an easy thing to do, but, but God gave a promise to Caleb that when they go to the land, he is going to get, he's going to inherit that land. So what happens here? Well, first of all, um, Caleb recalls the promise. He doesn't forget what God has told him he is going to do. You know, sometimes when we get started in the Christian life, we are gung-ho just like, uh, like Caleb. You know, we're really willing to take on any, any obstacle. We're so excited, we share the gospel with anyone. You know, if God tells us to do something, we just do it because we're so excited about our young faith. You remember when you were first a believer, when you first came to know the Lord? It was so easy to tell your friends about Jesus because you were just so excited. I remember when I was uh, in high school and I had first come to know the Lord. And uh, I remember the first time that I was taught how to witness for Christ. Uh, I was part of Campus Crusade for Christ, and they told us to go to a training, and I was like brand new in the faith, and if there was a training or a Bible study, anything, I would just immediately go. I was so game, anything that came up, I would go. So they told me, you go to this training, we'll teach you how to share the gospel with someone else. And I thought, sure, great, let's do this. So I went to this uh, seminar, and it was actually a seminar for older people. And so there were a few of us that were high school kids that were there, but most of it was you know, adults like us. And so I went through the training, and at the end of the training, they teach you how to share a booklet of how to introduce someone to the, the gospel. And so I thought, okay, this is cool. And then they said, now you're going to do it. And I said, wait a minute, you mean this isn't theory? You, you mean you actually want us to do this? And so they said, yeah, we're gonna pair you up two by two, and then we're going to send you out door to door, and you're going to knock on a door, and you're going to share the gospel with someone. And it's like, oh, wait a minute, this is a little different. This isn't what I thought. But, you know, hey, whatever, let's go ahead and do it. So I got paired up with a guy, and I was like 16 at the time, and the guy that I got paired up with was like 35. And I thought, oh, great, at least I've got somebody that's you know, older, more mature, definitely he's gonna do this. And so they gave us this little survey form so that we went up and we did this religious survey. And then at the end of the survey, it says, would you be more interested in learning more about having a relationship with Christ? And so I had the survey and my partner had a survey. And as we're walking up to the front door, I was absolutely certain he's gonna be the one to do it because he's the older guy. And he looks at me and he says, okay, Jim, you do it. And I'm going, but, 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 but you're the, you know. And so I remember I was praying, God, you know, let no one be there at the house when we <laughs> knock on the door. <laughs> I would like to say I was praying, you know, this bold prayer, Lord, give me boldness. And I was just praying nobody would be home. Um, but we got to the door and I remember knocking on the door 
And this lady came out, and she was like 40-something. She could have been my mother. I mean, she was older, and I'm going to, he's 30-something, he should talk with her instead of me. But I went through the survey with this lady, and uh, at the end of it, I asked the question, would you be interested in knowing more about having a personal relationship with Christ? And I'm hoping, Lord, let her say no, okay? Don't. <laughs> but she said yes. And so then I, I shared the gospel with her using the Four Spiritual Laws booklet, and I was so amazed. This lady prayed to receive Christ with me. You know, here, me, a 16-year-old high school kid, leading this lady that could be the same age as my mom to Christ. And I'll never, re I'll never forget that when you step out in faith, God honors that. And God can use us in ways that we never expected that he could use us. So, you know, when we're young in the faith, many times we take risks like that, that perhaps later as we grow in, in the faith, for some reason, it becomes harder for us to do that. On the other hand, you look at Caleb. Here he is, 85 years old, and he hasn't lost that faith. He still has that confidence that if God will allow him to do it, he is able to do whatever God calls him to do. How about for us? Are we still really uh, willing to take those risks? Well, let me go back and go back to the promise that was originally given to him so that we understand the context a little bit more. In Numbers chapter 13, this was when they made their report to Moses. It says, there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Remember the fruit? There were grapes like the size of apples. You know, I mean, it was beautiful. It was amazing fruit. So everything that God said about the place being a good place was true. But the people who live there are very powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Anak ni Anak. Cute, huh? <clears throat> so the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Okay, so what are they doing? Well, so far, so good. They're, they're saying this is the situation. You know, we got a problem because these guys are really big, and here's where they live, and their cities are like this. So far, the report is a report. But before long, it goes beyond being a report because they were trying to convince everyone that they shouldn't go in. So then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. So here you have everybody else that are pushing the idea of a report to actually saying, no, we shouldn't go in. We can't do it, it's impossible. But Caleb stands up and he says, no, we can do this because if God is with us, anything that he wants us to do, we can do. You know, I wish I was always like that. But I must say that there are some times when honestly I, I think I can't do the things that God calls me to do. I don't have the faith, the confidence, that wholehearted assurance 
that I can trust God to do what he wants me to do. And sometimes I back away from challenges because I think it's too difficult. Have you ever backed away from something that you knew God wanted you to do, but you just didn't do it because you didn't think that it would work out well? That wasn't Caleb. Caleb was a guy that in spite of the obstacles, in spite of the difficulties, he was willing to take the risk because he believed that God could do whatever he had called him to do. So he recalled the, pro the promise. He recalled the fact that he reported according to his convictions. But most important, he recalled that he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. You know, they were following the Lord as long as it was easy. As long as it wasn't too difficult, all of these guys were following the Lord. But that's why there was so much grumbling and all that complaining in, in the wilderness. Because every time it got difficult, they stopped following God wholeheartedly. When everything was easy, no problem. But when things started getting difficult, different story. You know, how are we in, in our walk with God? Are we kind of fair weather Christians? When everything is going well, yeah, I'll come to church. When everything is going well, yeah, I'll attend D group. When everything is going well, yeah, I'll share the gospel with my neighbor, or my, my classmate, or my office mate. But when things are difficult, do we stop? Do we say, wait, too hard, I didn't sign up for this. You know, God, I'm only here when you bless me. You know, there's a lot of that around in Christianity today. When everything is going well, then we can continue to get the blessing of God. But when things go difficult, and when God begins to test us, or maybe circumstances are against us, are we still willing to follow him and to do what he asks? You know, in Numbers, it says, this is the response that God had to Caleb. You wanna know how God responds to people that have confidence? This is what God said. This isn't what Moses said. This is what God said through Moses. He said, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. You know, when we are faithful and wholehearted, God sees that and he rewards that. You know, many times, we miss out on the blessings of God because in difficult circumstances, we capitulate, we give in, we don't pursue God. We, we get so caught up in our problems that we, we lose the opportunity to be blessed by God. Caleb, because he was wholehearted, even though it was still a distant promise, God gave him a promise that because you are willing to trust me in every situation, I will bless you with this inheritance. So now this is 45 years later, and Caleb is looking back and remembering that promise. Now at this point, they had been at war for about five years. So about the time he was 80, that's when the armies of Israel began to go into the promised land and began to conquer things. And they conquered most of the, the, the land but there were still pockets of resistance that they hadn't yet conquered. One of the big pockets of resistance was this area that God had promised to Caleb. At that point, they had not yet taken the land. At that point, they were still afraid of these giants, and so 
it was too difficult, so they picked the low-hanging fruit in other parts of Israel, and they were going to leave this for later. So that's why Caleb came back, because he remembered the promise. And that promise that was given to him was not that it was going to be easy, but that God was going to win the battle for him. So he was given a promise. And this is what Caleb claims when he goes back and talks to Joshua in Joshua 14. It says, Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out in battle now as I was then. You know, one thing that I notice about older people is sometimes uh, they live in denial, okay? I don't think at 85 he was really that strong, but because his strength came from the Lord, he was willing to trust God, okay? Uh, you know, I am now older than I was. <laughs> And there are things that I just can't do anymore. There are things physically I'm just not capable of. And I look back on the days when I was young and think, you know, boy, I wish I still could do all of those things. But you know, God working through us is not bound by our human limitations because God's work is done supernaturally. And when Caleb was given this promise, it wasn't, didn't have a time limit on it. He didn't say, you know, when you're 40, I will give you the land because kayamo. But the things that I say, 85 in Dimokaya, okay, no more. I take back that, that promise to you. No, that promise was given when he was 40, and here he is 45 years later, and he claims the promise because it's not dependent on his strength in the beginning. You know, many times we don't take risks for the Lord because we think that it's up to us, right? Sometimes we think the reason that we don't share with our, our neighbor or the reason that we don't obey God in certain ways that we know that he wants us to is because we think kaya. But you know, the, the reality is it's not up to us. It's really up to his strength working through us that allows us to be able to accomplish anything for him. So. It's kind of silly for us to say, well, I'm too weak or I, I, I don't have that gift or whatever the excuse is that we give to God, it's really irrelevant because it's not us anyway. It is God working through us to accomplish what he wants. And that's what Caleb knew. He knew that if God wanted him to take that mountain, he could take it. Not probably because he really was that strong, although when you really are filled with the Spirit and you are trusting God, I think you do have an energy that other people don't have. But here he's saying, I'm 85, I'm willing to go into battle, I'm still willing to trust God, I'm not going to use my age or my limitations as an excuse to accomplish what God wants me to do. So this is what he says. He says, now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me on that day. You yourselves heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. The key there is the Lord helping me. 
if God, you have given me this promise, Joshua, you give me that land because God will drive them out. It's not gonna be up to us, it's gonna be up to God doing the driving out. That's what he's claiming. You know, I wish I have that faith at 85 that I'm still willing to take those kinds of risks. So he points out a few things just to kind of summarize what he said. First of all, God kept him alive. Notice that everyone except for Joshua and Caleb died in the wilderness. So God was faithful to his promise. He told Joshua and Caleb, everyone else under the, uh, above the age of 20 was going to die in the wilderness, and they did. But God kept Joshua and Caleb alive just like he promised. He said, you're not gonna die. You're going to be able to enter the land. Not only that, but God had kept him strong. Uh, again, I'm not sure if I'm willing to go into battle when I'm 85, a literal battle. But Caleb was willing to do it. He was still strong. But most of all, he believed and he continued to claim that promise that it would be God who would help him to drive out the enemies. So in Joshua 14, it tells the rest of the story. It says, then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He said, okay, go for it, Joshua. And he gave him Hebron as an inheritance. So Hebron belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Now, think about this story. Is there something missing here? If you were making a movie out of this story, what isn't part of the story? Where's the battle, right? So he says, yeah, Caleb, go and take, conquer that land. And then the, the big finale of the movie is how did he do it? You know, going in and people killing each other and these giants being slain, all of that stuff. You know, isn't that what you would expect in the story? Hello? I, I feel like I should be bong socking. Hello? <coughs> you know, if I were writing this story, this isn't how I would write the story. I would make a big, you know, climax in the battle scene and see how Caleb, you know, came in on a white horse and speared the king of the, you know, the Philistines or whatever. That's how I would write the story. But the writer, the author, didn't put all of that stuff in. And I've always wondered why. Why isn't it there? And I've come to the conclusion it's very simple. It's because the real battle wasn't what happened out there, but it was whether or not a person of God was willing to trust God to fulfill his promise. You know, it's really just a matter of faith. Caleb was willing to trust God, and the how really didn't matter. God was going to do it, and he did it, and they did. They entered, they conquered that land that became the inheritance of Caleb and his family you know, for generations after that. So it was done exactly according to the promise, but the question wasn't how. It wasn't like it was up to Caleb to be a great general to be able to come up with a battle plan that was gonna drive them out. You know, the real battle was, was Caleb going to trust God with the things that God had commanded him to do, told him that he would bless him with? You know, in our lives, sometimes 
we think that it's all about coming up with the right strategy or having the right resources to be able to accomplish what God wants us to do. But I would submit to you that actually the biggest question is, are we willing to trust God? God is going to accomplish his purposes, but the question is, are we willing to trust him and to commit to following him whatever it is that he tells us to do? So he received the promise. The blessing was bestowed, the land was subdued, he accomplished exactly what God had called him to do at 85 years old. So I wanna kind of close this with a couple of questions. First of all, how do you plan to finish your life? What is your spiritual bucket list? What is it that you want to trust God for? Or what is it that God is calling you to trust him for for the rest of your life? So when you're 85, what do you want to be able to look back and say, God has accomplished this in my life? What conquests are you preparing for today? Are you just kind of you know, going with the flow? Are you just content with the way things are? Or are there certain things that you know God is causing you to take steps of faith and risk that you perhaps have never done? I can think some of you, you know people that are not yet believers. Are you reaching out to those people? Are you willing to confront them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Some of you, you know that you should be starting a D group. You, you know enough, you've had enough experience, you've had enough training, you have people in your life that you could invite, that you could actually begin but you haven't yet stepped up to do it. Are you willing to step up? For some of you, it may just be getting involved in service here in the church. Is there some gift that you have been given that God has been saying, I want you to get involved and you need to do this? Are you willing to do it? Even if it may take extra time, even if it may be inconvenient, even if it may take more energy, are you willing to respond and obey in order to accomplish what he wants. Perhaps there's other things in your life that you need to take steps of faith to be able to overcome. Maybe there's barriers in your life. Maybe you need to go and seek counsel about something. Could be a relationship problem. It could be a financial problem. It could be other areas in your moral life that you need to trust God to overcome and you need help. So maybe the obstacle is going and talking with someone that can step through with you that problem to see victory. I don't know what it is that you need to do, but I'm sure that many of us here are in a complacent state where we would rather just stay where we are rather than take the risk of the next step. And maybe for the church, you have to ask the question, what conquest should we be seeking to do as a church. So as leaders, are there things that you are hesitant to trust God with that God wants you to do in the coming weeks and months? And I'd like for us just to bow in a word of prayer right now and ask God these questions. Ask him to speak to our hearts that his spirit would guide us to respond appropriately. Let's pray together. Just where you are, 
Ask God to speak to your heart through the Holy Spirit. How do you plan to finish your life? What conquests are you preparing for today? What are things that you, you know God is asking you to do that you need to take steps of faith to do for him? And as he speaks to you about those, just respond to him and tell him, Lord, I'm willing. Give me the faith and strength to take the steps that you want me to take. And as a church, what conquest should we be pre preparing for? What steps of faith you want us to take? Lord Jesus, I thank you for the life of Caleb, a man who was wholehearted to the very end of his life in serving you and following you. Father, it's my desire that by the time you're ready to take me home, Lord, that I have been found faithful. And I know each person here desires that they would live their life to the end of their life wholeheartedly serving you. So my prayer for them is, Lord, that they would be obedient to you in the power of the Holy Spirit, that they also would serve you completely and wholeheartedly to the very end of their lives. And Father, I pray for this church. Lord, I pray for those steps of faith that you want the leaders to undergo, to bring this church to the place that you want it to be. Father, if there are new risks and opportunities that they've been given that right now they're hesitant to do, I pray, Father, that you give them the strength to respond. Father, most of all, we pray that you would be glorified in our lives, that everything that we do, say, everything that we are would be for your honor and glory. And Father, like Caleb, that we would serve you wholeheartedly to the very end. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.